Welcome to Embodied Astrology, Carlin. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here too. I feel like we've been having really interesting astrology conversations for, I think it's almost two years now. Um, So yeah, it feels like, yay, you're finally on the podcast. (laughs) I know. I feel like I've come, um, it's so weird because I feel like it's so serendipitous and I feel like I've come full circle. because I remember when I was like, just like a listener and I was like, oh my gosh, I love Renee's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way that she talks about um, astrology. I love the way that, um, and I have, you know, I've told you this before too, about how I really appreciate that. I feel like folks, no matter what level they are, can really engage um, with the way that you teach because you're like, you pause and you're like, this is what this means. And this is what this is, and this is what a trine is, and if something is this, um, and I was like, okay, yeah, this feels really nice because I'm not feeling overwhelmed um, when I listen, and now here I am um, on the podcast. <laughs> here you are. Yeah, and I feel, um, I've always felt so excited in our astrology conversations because of what you bring in, and you have such a easy and intuitive and I know you're a tarot reader and you're a witch and like you have a big symbolic magical vocabulary to draw on um but in you know in the way that I personally want to engage with astrology which is in some ways to fuck with it you know I'm like okay what are the stories that are being told why what what stories do I want to tell like what does this make me think of you know and Mm -hmm. how do I queer this space and uh, shape shift inside of it. And I feel like you and I are very resonant in that way. Like maybe both of us are kind of trickstery, mischievous. Um, what's that word? Devil's advocates, you know, where it's like, well, you know, even provocateurs. Just, even if we, provocateurs. Yes. I feel like maybe we both have a little bit of a touch of provocateur. Do you resonate with that? Absolutely. So it's so funny that, sh- um, that you say that because when I was a, I feel like I also have lived like a thousand lives. I have literally, I've worked so many different jobs. I have so many different skill sets. Um, so, but I was an intern um, at my alma mater. Um, I was an intern in Life Lab. And that was one of the things that we did was we did like a, what is your superpower? And that was the superpower I got was provocateur. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I never... I was like, I never really thought about myself as a provocateur, but I think that that actually does accurately describe like the type of um, presence that I have is, you know, asking certain questions and, you know, wondering some of the things that you're saying. It's like, is that really what it is? Are we really saying the things that we think that we're saying? Is this really doing the things that we say that it's doing? Is this actually the best way to talk about, think about, or interpret this thing? And that is Mm -hmm. like, that does provoke um, questions. So yes, <laughs> we were before we hit record. We were talking about. We were just checking in, and you were telling me about one of your natal placements. You have Mercury square to Mars, and Mercury is in Capricorn. It's very close to your Capricorn ascendant, your Capricorn stellium, and then you have Mars and Aries in the third house of communication. And um, what what was the language that we used? It was like oh yeah, I could see how this could be confrontational or 
come across yeah, as forced. So, That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, no, I said, I said authoritative. <laughs> I was saying that I feel like my, um, so yeah, we were, when we were off mic, um, we were taught, I was telling Renee about how one of the things that I struggle with is um, folks, like, I feel like a lot of people sometimes, like, misinterpret um, the way that I'm communicating things, even when I try to, even if I feel like I'm articulating things clearly, or even if I feel like I've done the work to, like, try to make things, like, land softly, that sometimes it still comes off authoritative, that, like, um, folks may feel like, oh, Carlin is saying this thing is true, or this is the way that this thing is, um, and how that can be, that can be tricky to navigate in, specifically in interpersonal um, relationships. There are times, you know, professionally, or when I am um, doing some of my scholarly work, where I'm like, yes, this authoritative voice, like, is useful, um, but it does make trouble for me sometimes in um, interpersonal interactions with people because folks, again, may feel like I'm being forceful or domineering even um, with my communication. And like, that may not, that may not be my intention, but that is like, I think that that's sometimes how that resonates. resonates. Mm -hmm. For sure. And from an embodied astrology, you know, perspective, when I feel into that aspect in my own body, like I feel the integrity and the structure and the strength of Capricorn, you know, in the bones and just really connecting to what feels so grounded. And then this fiery laser focus of Mars and Aries coming out in the third house. And that that's embodied clarity for you when you're communicating. And it's not necessarily a fact, you know, or a attempt to be domineering or authoritative. It's just a clear channeling of what's coming through your vessel in that moment. It's yeah. like, yeah. And I actually really resonate with that in my own chart and our charts are, are quite different, but we're both, uh, sun rising in the same sign. And so you're way more than a double Capricorn. You have five planetary placements plus your ascendant. Okay. So Uranus, Sun, Saturn, Neptune, Mercury, ascendant Capricorn. Yeah. It's, it's just a little Capricorn, just, just a touch. Just, you know, just, just, just a bit. <laughs> And that um, is, and, and that I, I feel like that that also adds to the intensity of oh, for just sure. like my being. Um, so yeah. even when I don't feel like I'm being intense, other people are like, "Bitch, like chill." <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And I'm a double Leo. I'm a sun, sun on the ascendant as Leo, and then my Leo is square to a Taurus moon, and so I too <laughs> have a kind of intensity and. Um, a, a bold opinionatedness at times and yeah what you were sharing about how people can interpret your communication I resonate with a lot and I was thinking how so many of my closest friends and people who I just have a really natural rapport with are Capricorns or like they have strong Capricorn energy in their chart and Leo and Capricorn astrologically are considered to be an aversion of one another, at least in traditional astrology, because they're in conjunct. But, and I certainly can feel how sometimes Leo Capricorn is a little oil and water, but then there's also this natural dignity that both signs have and this natural authoritativeness or boldness, you know, that isn't necessarily wanting to be domineering or hierarchical or bossy or something like that. It's just how we are. Yeah. And so I do have this feeling 
with a lot of Capricorn folks, I certainly have this feeling with you where I'm like, oh, we can play, you know, like, oh, Car Carla's going to be like that. Cool. Like, <laughs> you know, I feel like our conversations then become very vibrant and excited. Yeah, I think, too, you know, um, I feel like one of the things that I have encountered specifically is like how people like how I trigger um, people feeling intimidated. And I think that the piece of intimidation comes from the way, the, the methodical way in which I'm able to recount like vast amounts of things. But I'm like, but that's like, that's like super like the Saturnian energy, right? Like Saturn, or so the way that I kind of think about um, the planet and like how they imbue their energy on us is like where they are in space, right? Mm -hmm. Also speaks to how they view material stuff, if that makes sense. So like the outer planets are further away. So they like, they move, they move slower. Um, I'm using air quotes because I'm like, you know, <laughs> they move slower in like, in the way that we kind of conceptualize right. time as like human, but like they move the way that they move. Um, but then like they are further away. And so their vantage point is different and they, they can see more, right? Because they're further away from earth. They can see more of the planets. They can, they have like a different perspective. Um, and so because I'm so, I'm so Saturn heavy, um, I'm so, I'm, I truly am Capricorn, right? Um, I just think that, that, that um, tr when I'm recounting things for folks that translate to people, they feel like, oh, how are you holding all mm -hmm. of this stuff? <laughs> and mm -hmm. then also able to like, what, what I think may appear to folks so easily able to recount those things. Um, but like what they didn't see is the process that I have gone through in order to like create, right, the structure that I then, you know, have categorized things and figured out how to recall things and have figured out how to then articulate things in a way that feels digestible to people and have taken feedback and like shifted in this and the, the, the things that I have observed from other people, right? So like they didn't see the process it's sort of they didn't see like the process of how I got to this place they just see like the final product and then they're mm -hmm. like oh wow like I can't do that um but I'm like you could right it would just look different for you right um so yeah I, I absolutely have had to engage with that where folks are like where people have like told me um and people that I'm in community with were like on one hand I have felt intimidated by you because you have mm. done so much stuff and the way that you just feel, you feel very organized and put together and the way that you're even able to take these gigantic cons, these, you know, these gigantic concepts and synthesize them. But like, but then I also know you as a person and I know that you're not intimidating or mean or like gatekeepy or anything like that. But like, that is the thing that I trigger in people is mm. their folks are either like you or you're like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> Carbon is someone that I can have these kind of like fun, mm -hmm. bath conversations with. And then there are other folks that are like, ooh, this is like, this feels overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I resonate with that too. I feel like um, 
that's been something that I've encountered as well and people's perceptions or projections. And um, when you were just talking, I was also, because I have your chart up and I was looking at Scorpio in your chart, which is right on the midheaven. And so it's this public presentation, you know, and where you as a person are most visible in the world mm-hmm. and your Pluto and Scorpio generation. Um, but I feel like the way that Scorpio and Capricorn can interact, especially with your Pluto and Mercury being sextile to one another, there is this deep archival memory, you know, and both Scorpio and Capricorn hold on to the past. Like they know Mm -hmm. what has happened. They catalog it. They pay attention. They may not need to, you know, it's like those energies aren't necessarily every single time they're noticing something, saying something, but if enough accumulates, if that residue builds to become a thing, then it's a fucking thing and they will tell you why and they will tell you when and they will tell you how because it's there right and it's like (laughs) like both of those signs aren't they're not they're no Sagittarians right like they're not bursting out of the gates to be like listen I got an idea they're like okay here's a notion let me see if this is true like I'm just gonna bide my time let me see if it happens again oh hmm, it happened a second time could be a coincidence Let's give it yes. a little bit more time, right? Yes, I laughed. I I laughed because, um, yeah, that was one of the things at my my university I was known for was reading people and having receipts. And I think that, like, <laughs> you know, you absolutely named that. I wouldn't. I would pay attention. Yeah, I would just pay attention. I'm like, okay, I'm noting that. Oh, this thing happened. Oh, this thing happened again this thing happened over there you said this but you did this I'm filing it away and um people don't always like that right um and it's it has again been something that I have struggled with both interpersonally because like I think that sometimes people feel like I weaponize that against them or like they feel again intimidated Mm -hmm. by like oh my god Karen's gonna remember every fucking thing that I did and I'm just like well yes but like not, <laughs> but I'm like, but not in a bad way, because for me, the way that it it is, I just I find it interesting, right? I'm like, oh, this is interesting that this, you know, that these that there's this pattern or that this thing is happening. And like, oh, maybe folks don't see this that this thing is happening. So like I'm gonna bring it I, to your attention in a way, you know, sometimes I am just like. Sometimes it is in a way that is confrontational, right? Um, when it is when I have dealt with like institutions specifically, I'm like, it is confrontational. I'm like, here's the receipts on why mm-hmm. you're not doing the things that you say that you are. Um, I also have used it with confrontationally in institutions where I'm like, here's how y'all have me fucked up. Um, and then for though within interpersonal relationships. Because, and I remember you and I actually had this conversation about my um, my cancer moon in my seventh house about you were like, you have the capacity for a lot, like for huge amounts of like holding emotional stuff for people. The way mm-hmm. that that sometimes resonates for me though is, and because again, it's in my seventh house, right? Um, is that I try to reflect things back to folks where I'm like, oh, you have talked, you keep pouring, pouring, pouring into me about these things. Here's, I've sifted through the stuff. Here, I'm like, here's the mirror, here are the patterns. Um, 
here are the things that I, you know, you have said that you wanted to be this thing, you wanted to be this way, you wanted to do these things. Here's the stuff that's stopping you from doing that. And like sometimes people, they don't want it, right? They don't want it. <laughs> right. Like folks are like, I don't, I didn't ask for all of that. I didn't ask for you to keep record of everything, right? But I'm like, but that's just kind of, right. That's how I work, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I feel like our knowing of each other has really existed in some ways, you know, very much on a professional astrological plane. So I don't have a intimate interpersonal knowing of you, but that quality that you're talking about, I definitely feel in you. And when I feel it, I feel it as very deeply a love language that is about accountability and growth, mm-hmm. you know, and that yeah. you you do hold a lot and you hold a lot of capacity for critical reflection as love. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I feel like that isn't uplifted enough as a love language, but as a Venus in Virgo person, like that resonates a lot for me because I think that honest, careful and specific feedback is so helpful you know, it's, and it's, it's so generous, like for someone to take the time to reflect, hey, you said that you wanted to do this, but then I saw you do that. And then you did this the next day. And then, you know, to like have that kind of generosity to give you that feedback, because we all know that we can't see our own asses, you know, it's like, there are (laughs) certain perspectives that we're never going to be able to have as long as we're contained in our corporeal forms. And it takes a kind of chutzpah, right? Like to give someone some feedback. And a, a lot of us are socialized to feel timid and skittish. And to, like, we don't have a culture of healthy feedback and yeah. reflection. And so, yeah, I've always felt like that way of being that you bring, even, you know, even when you're forceful and critical around the institution it's like you're there because you love like you're there because you see the possibility like you're there because you want growth and you're lending support to that and in my opinion that is um a very deep and significant love language so I thank you for your service (laughs) thank you no thank you for that and thank you for naming that I think that uh I absolutely agree that uh that accountability is a piece of loving people and that we don't, because like you said, we don't, we live in a culture that doesn't believe in being accountable, right? Or like has bastardized what accountability looks like. We live in a, we live in a carceral, punitive society. And so that I think that oftentimes people then associate being accountable with being punitive and I feel like I have done a lot of the work to try to unlearn um, that. Because I absolutely, like when I was younger, yes, like that was my framework, right? Because we live in a society. Um, so I was like, oh, being accountable to people or like being accountable is puni- like is like very formulated yeah. and it's punishing. So like, absolutely, that was how that used to manifest for me because I didn't know better. But now that I know better, I do, I feel like, I have shifted, like, what does accountability look like? And then also feel like I have a responsibility in showing up for that, right? Like, I can't ask for people to, I, th- I think it's 
irresponsible for me to be like, here's the thing that I noticed about you that you struggle with. And then just being like, okay, good luck. Um, <laughs> right. I'm like, like, that's not, that's also not accountable on my part. And that's not very loving or supporting. Um, so I feel like whenever I do offer critiques of things, um, particularly interpersonally, I feel like um, that I'm clear about like, and here the, of my willingness to support like creating that thing, right? Um, if that's what folks want, because sometimes people don't want it, right? And like, that's okay too. So yeah, it is mm-hmm. accountability is absolutely a part of um, being in a loving, respectful, reciprocal relationship. And like you said, I don't think that we, we don't know what that looks like because so often we don't experience that, right? Because we live in the, we live in a society that is, that is unfortunately individualistic, um, that is antagonistic, that, and then is exploitative, right? Um, so yeah, in order to be accountable too, we have to be vulnerable and we don't, we don't live in a, a society that creates a lot of space for people to be consistently vulnerable. Because a lot of us are scared that like someone is gonna like harm us or take advantage of us. And like those fears are rooted in like very real things. Totally, totally. And to your point, you know, I think that um culturally there has been such a um yeah strong imprint of punishment delivered for failure or mistakes or um vulnerability or need you know and that in this society of uh supremacists white supremacists misogynist individualism if if you're a human being and therefore natural which means you need things (laughs) you don't always want to work you know there there are mistakes that happen there are learning moments there's growth um then that's met with punishment and that our lives are uh, shaped in so many ways around fear of punishment. And so when feedback is then forthcoming, um, yeah, I think it's a very like deeply ingrained response for a lot of folks to clench, you know, and to get defensive. And um, it takes so much willingness to sit through that and to be with that on either side, you know, and um, yeah, I really, admire the um good humor that you that you bring to your work um and it that also feels like a maybe a moment to mention our series that we're teaching together um yeah. coming up astrology and activism um what's our subtitle ascension and evolution through the aries eclipses that sounds right yes I'm just gonna say yes. <laughs> a long title. <laughs> I'm like yes. That sounds yes. <laughs> I've just been writing astrology and activism, and I'm forgetting the subtitle. But we're working with the uh, first of two and a half years of Aries eclipses. It's going to happen on um, April 19th at the very last degree of Aries, and leading up to that, we have five classes over the course of uh, five weeks on Tuesdays on Mars Day through Aries season, we're going to focus on astrology and activism. And um, yeah, I'm wondering, since we're talking about this love language of yours and your capacity for uh, working with accountability and working with processes of accountability, 
Um, I know that this is certainly one part of your activism, but yeah, I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about how you engage with activism, how you feel activated, what you are activating in your life, and yeah, any themes that kind of sprout out of that for you? That's a great question. Thank you for that question. I think that, you know, it's a, and it's so funny because I'm going to do the thing. So, when, so context for folks who are listening, um, when Renee and I, again, were off mic with each other, I was making a joke about how when I talk about things, I'm like, here's the context. 500 years ago, this thing happened. <laughs> and then, um, and so I'm about to do that right now. Um, so I think that the types of activism that I have found myself doing, which are around, which are like very communal, which are very about like, how do we empower ourselves to then help other people be empowered? Um, it's very one much in relation to my first and seventh, right? So my Aries, Libra axes, my moon is in my seventh house. So um, that to me talks about like, who am I in relationship with? And like, how do I want to be in relationship with people? I want to be in relationship um, or like, or this idea of being like very communal, very nurturing, thinking about like, how do we make things good for everyone, right? Um, the, so my idea of doing communal work began with my family, right? Um, and the way that even I was raised. So my mother was a single parent. I was raised in a matriarchal family. So I was raised by Black women. So my, you know, my, my Nana, my great grandmother, my aunties, um, but they were very, they were, you know, Southern Black women. So they were like very in the church. Um, they are like, you know, praying Black women, prayer circles. We believe in God, the Bible. My great grandmother still talks about how the Lord has been good to us. And I love that, that piece of tradition of like being communal, having this structure but there's some, you know, there's things that come with the church, um, like patriarchy and homophobia and racism. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I appreciate about my mother is she was like, there are things that y'all are doing that are good. And there are also things that you're doing that need to be different. And she made a conscious decision to be empowered and to also empower me as a young child. So we talk a lot about how my ability to feel like and be myself started with my mom honoring the autonomy that I had as a child. And so like the idea of things, this should be, this is what it should be like for everyone really started at home with my mother and her making the conscious decision to respect, honor, and pour into the autonomy that I had as a child, as a kid, like, well, I was like, little, little Carlin, mm-hmm. um, was able to have an opinion, was, opinion was validated, opinion was affirmed, autonomy was affirmed, boundaries were affirmed by my mother, right, so, mm-hmm. like, obviously, growing up as, like, a little Black child in a white supremacist, homophobic, uh patriarchal society there were all of there were all of these other places and ways that like my autonomy was taken from me um but at home with my mother my autonomy was always affirmed and the the feeling that I have the right 
to affirm and assert my autonomy when it's being disrespected in other places also was affirmed by my mom. So, and that's, I feel like that that is the work that I do is I'm like, we, people deserve nice things. People deserve to be treated with dignity. People deserve to be happy. People deserve access to resources. People shouldn't have to struggle. Um, People deserve to be affirmed in who they are is really at the root of the work, all of the work that I have done. Um, and I've done all kinds of different work. I started out as like a doing um, access to higher education when I was a part of my student government. I was a part of the student senate for California Community Colleges. Um, so we advocated for access to higher education. Then when I moved to Arizona, I was a part of the Arizona Students Association. I also um, did a lot of like community organizing and that was just around like access to rights as people, right? So like, uh, that's also where a lot of my identity formation um, and my politic, me being getting language around my politic happened in Arizona. Um, so a lot of language for things that I think I knew intuitively or understood, but couldn't necessarily maybe articulate very well. Um, that happened in Arizona, that happened through community organizing. And now I work for a climate justice organization and I also have a consulting company. And though at the root of all of that work though is people deserve to be safe. People deserve to be seen. People deserve to be autonomous and deserve to um, be affirmed. And like there are all of these things, these structures, these beliefs that exist that take those things away from people. And how do we like, how do we as individuals learn the ways that we have internalized ideas that take people's autonomy away from them? And how do we like unlearn those things so that we can be in a more accountable, more just, more loving world and community? Because everyone deserves to be loved and affirmed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing all that. Um, yeah, again, I was just following your chart as you were talking and really feeling your cancer moon when you were talking about your mom and um, an astrologer that I worked with for a while. Every time the moon was in cancer, they would see someone's moon in cancer. They would exclaim, oh, the Buddha moon, right? Like this, this moon of the heart of the Buddha, like the moon in its domicile, the moon in cancer, and in your seventh house, and with this modeling, generational modeling and inheritance around generosity and inclusion and care. Um, and the way that it actually, you know, we started off talking about your Mercury Mars square, but that moon brings in a T square element and imposes your Mercury and squares Mars. And it feels like, yeah, you're, um, your work feels so deeply grounded in this very practical and deeply caring uh, activism. And um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for allowing for me to share. So what about <laughs> you? What are the things that activate you? And um, I want to ask, like, how do you feel like astrology, your like specifically your practice as an astrologer, um, intersects with the things that activate you. Because I will say this, I want to comment that I I see, um, and this is another thing that I really appreciate about you as an astrologer, is I see the way that you do bring in 
the idea of like astrology is is a beautiful tool that we can use to help better understand ourselves and others and also how do we like engage with like the history of the symbols the mythology and even some of the ways that like astrology can be used as a practice to bypass having to engage with some of the larger social implications that exist um I always see you like asking for folks to engage with those things and to hold that tension so like how do you feel your work as an astrologer your practice and activism like intersect with one another Mm, I love this question um actually very similarly in are in like an orientation, you know, that I too feel like my activism really started with my parents and with my mom. Um, I am a second generation astrologer and my mom, my mom's interest in astrology really, really deeply shaped my life. And the way that she used astrology with me um, in my early life, especially as a uh, kind of older child and younger teenager when I was exhibiting a lot of, I think what certainly would have been then if she had taken me to a psychiatrist or something and would be now um, diagnosed as ADHD or like oppositional defiant disorder. So, you know, one of those acronyms where though I honor the chemical imbalance and nervous system components of them. I also feel like a lot of those acronym diagnoses are very reasonable responses to living in like a hellscape of a world that has a lot of trauma (laughs) embedded in uh, all of our interconnections. Mm -hmm. And so I was a kid that, um, yeah, really had a hard time staying in line, you know, and I, I was always breaking the rules and um, really engaging with some pretty self-destructive and dangerous behavior. And instead of pathologizing me, my mom used my chart and she had a lot of compassion, I think, for what she saw in my natal chart and how she read it through her lens. And, you know, similar to what you were sharing about your mom, like my mom grew up in a very puritanical, very um, uh, conservative Protestant, uh, uh, white New England, like waspy kind of early life. And in her 20s, um, made a huge break and did a lot of work in her own um, feminist studies. And uh, I think though she didn't have the language for it at the time, really started to chip away at her whiteness and uh, was involved in some civil rights work and like was, she was doing the unwinding, you know? And so when I was born, um, she really raised me as a feminist and she raised me uh, also to have a sense of empowerment around my bodily sovereignty and a sense of entitlement to use my voice and um, how she used astrology with me was to affirm the parts of me that society would have pathologized. And she helped me leave school when I was 13 and uh, get an education through unschooling. And she always really supported me creatively. And so as an astrologer, you know, I feel like my inheritance with astrology is around, this is a technology and this is a practice and a language 
that can help people not only survive, but thrive because it has a medicine in it that validates and affirms our paradoxes and idiosyncrasies. And it helps us see how we are whole, complete, healthy beings navigating uh, contexts and conditions that are deeply like systemically and generationally knotted and, and tangled up with ancient and twisted karma, you know, and, and how we work through our lives, like actually shouldn't meet a status quo of consensus reality because all of us are spiritual beings and we're all participating on some level with an evolution of consciousness. And then, you know, on, on my dad's side, um, I don't have a close relationship with him at this point in my life, but he was very politicized and um, really raised me with a, a, an instinct to question authority and to call out injustice. Um, and so I feel like that's just always been part of my worldview and like a thing that, you know, is itching under my skin because it's like, it's there. And I'm like, okay, we you know, there, this is a struggle. Like there's so much work to do. How are we going to do it? And that's part of my orientation. Um, you know, and then the last thing I would say is just you and I have a Mars moon conjunction in our sinistry chart, your cancer moon and my cancer Mars are very close to one another. And I feel like a lot of my activism is also about like, how do people get the care that they need and how, how do we like do the work of including people and working through the complexities and the discomfort and the mess of what our separation and the exclusions have done to us? Like, how do we come back um, into relationship and how do we build health and relationship feels like a very deep part of my activism. Yes, I, yes, that resonates with me. Um, also, thank you so much for sharing all of that with, with us. Um, no, so much of what she said, I'm just like, oh my gosh, yes. Um, I especially love the piece about the, that like we're all on like, you know, we're here in these, you know, in these body, yaddy, 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 but then we're here. <laughs> um, we're also having like spiritual journeys simultaneously you know, to evolve the collective consciousness. And I really, ooh, that piece. Yes, because mm. I, I do mm. think, I think that that gets taken for granted um, so often that there is, that, and, and it, that there is like this very clear, or not very clear, but like if we take a moment to kind of step back and see like how as people, we have evolved, right? And, our, and, and it has happened with, um, there being thought leaders and people like thinking through and and really engaging with like what does it mean to be a person and how do we what does it mean to be a society and how do we be mm -hmm. in society with each other <laughs> uh, that there are folks that are engaging with that and that we make leaps and bounds um with how we have evolved as folks right as people and that that often the biggest leaps happen when we as a collective are like on the same page with each other and we're like yes, this thing is bad, let's do something different, right? Or this thing is really good, this is nice, let's invest more in this. I also really appreciate the piece that you said about um, folks getting the care that they need and then how do we, um, I think, you know, the, the piece that you also said about isolation 
and how do we come back to one another? Um, and then how do we sustain? I just want to yeah. add like, and how do we sustain like being with each other? Because it's hard, right? Um, you know, I am a baby abolitionist. So I'm like very new into my abolitionist journey. I'm also very new into like incorporating abolitionist ideas into my feminist framework. And I think that the hardest piece that I like that that I have at least seen with some of the discourse around when people are like, well, what does it mean to be an abolitionist? Or even like some of the aversion that people have when folks are talking about abolitionist ideas and, you know, abolishing prisons and carceral um, and punitive things is how do we be, how can we maintain, sustain, or come back to being in relationship with one another when egregious harm has happened, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the answer is, or like part of the answer is we use the same types of things that we use when like small harm has occurred with one another, right? Um, I, I would imagine that everyone who's listening, there is someone or multiple people, right? In your, in our lives that we are in relationship with that like the relationship is not easy um, and that those people have probably like regularly caused harm, right? But we find ways to like you said, extend compassion to folks, figure out like, what is my boundary? What is my capacity? How can I, what are the places and spaces and ways that I can help this person grow? What are, you know, maybe I can only be in relationship with this person in these very specific contexts. Like we already, so many of us, I think already do a lot of that work. Um, I think the work maybe isn't acknowledged and I think that sometimes the work probably is not reciprocated and that's why it doesn't maybe feel um, as impactful as it is. But like a lot of us are already doing that stuff, right? Trying to figure out how do we, how do we stay in relationship with one another in ways that are sustainable, safe and healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, I am thinking about a couples counselor at one point that I was in a session with, you know, and they were talking to my partner and I and saying intimacy isn't built because it's just there. Like just because you love someone or just because there's fondness or there's chemistry or ease doesn't mean that there's intimacy and intimacy is built through rupture and repair and through processes of learning trust and learning about um, each other's vulnerabilities and and fragilities and like learning not just how to care for those places but also how to navigate growth inside of them um and you know I I feel like on that level on an interpersonal you know one lifetime meets one lifetime and of course we all contain multitudes and you know all the lifetimes but like on that level having long-term relationships with people that allow for processes of rupture and repair to happen and these spaces of discomfort where we both agree to show up and practice coming back together and like build these skills and temper ourselves right and like condition ourselves to be in intimacy which is hard but it's so rewarding and it's so generative and so that 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 work of the healing it's like nothing is ever gonna 
quote unquote, like fix the harm that happens. Like we can't go back to when it didn't happen. The scar is going to be there. But if we can do that work, we can build something that is really strong, you know, and that is vibrant and vital. And, um, and it might have patchwork, you know, like there might be places where it's, there are deep lineages of, of harm and there needs to be boundaries and sensitivity and care practices for a really long time in order yeah. to come back to a place of what feels like equilibrium and natural ease or trust. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience too. Like I know that on the interpersonal level, being given the opportunity to see where I am enacting harm and to work with that and not just to be accountable to another person, but to be accountable to myself is so liberating. Like it feels yeah. so good to do that work yeah. when, you know, like even inside of it, it, it can feel awful and excruciating to be called into it or to like approach it. But then like once you're in it, the reward is so big because that healing is not just for the moment of the harm that happened. It's usually for a huge, you know, residue or a collection of episodes, you know, and memories. And it's like, oh, when some, some piece can start to heal around this particular instance, then there's at least a thread of possible healing that can travel back in time to those older memories or older ways of being. Yes. And also, I think that when we, you know, do the thing that you were just speaking to, we also allow for ourselves to not continue to grow the harm, right? When we realize, oh, here's a way that I'm doing something to myself or to others that is harmful. And when you're called into that and you're able to address it, you prevent you, you not on there, it's obviously a process, right? I think the beginning of the process is that the harm becomes less, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm aware now. So you can stop yourself before it gets to the place of like, now it's, you know, we had a blow up argument and we said things that we can't take back now. So like, it's like, oh, okay, maybe we still get to the place where we have a blow up argument, but like we stop before the argument gets, bad so we are or maybe we're in the midst of an argument but like I'm like oop it's happening let me stop before because I know what happened I know what happens after this part right and then it begins to the place where you know little by little you grow awareness to where you're like oh we're not even arguing anymore because I know that this is a thing that exists within me and this is what the conditions look like before I get to that place I can begin to mitigate things before it even gets to the place of like huge repairs needing to be done, right? Now it's maintenance, right? And that's Mm. easy. Um, And then maintenance, you know, still needs the maintenance has to happen. Um, The maintenance sometimes, you know, we can, we're people and sometimes the maintenance doesn't happen as often as it needs to. And then we find, and we're like, oh no, it's another, now we, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where, I know a repair mm-hmm. has to happen, but I think that the repair is almost never as big after the healing has happened because you're aware and you're like, oh, I know how to, I now know how to move through this because we've done it before. And I know what, I know what needs to be done. I know how to move through this. Yeah. Um, 
but again, it's hard. It is, it's because, I think it's hard because we can't make people do anything, right? Um, we, we can do our part and we have to trust that other people will do their part. And then I think that that's, again, going back to, you know, the abolition pieces, I think, some folks are like, but what if other people don't do their part? And there's a possibility that those folks won't, right? There, there is, there's always a possibility that people won't. But there also is, I think, a greater possibility that people will. Um, and I, you know, you were talking, we were off mic too, we were talking about how there's a, a space in my chart where you're like, I feel like you lean into like what's possible and that's true I do try to see how do we get to the place that we want to go Mm. um so is it so yes it's hard um because people are people and people have there's a lot a lot of there's a a lot of us are dealing with a whole bunch of shit right like stuff that's not ours like stuff that's not ours stuff that we inherited that like was from people that we didn't even know that like have passed down shit to us That's it. and like we're and all the structural you know and the just yeah. the yeah. the yeah the intense challenge of just getting through a day you know I I feel like I talked to so many friends clients family members etc and there are so many ways that people are wanting to heal and wanting to evolve and wanting to progress not to mention all the creative projects and the like life affirmation that I think we all want to do that all has to come after killing ourselves to survive in this shit, you know, in, in this structural hellscape, you know, that really bombards life, life, you know, period, uh, with death energy. I feel like what you're talking about in terms of this care work and this accountability work and the process of it is a kind of activism that maybe more is starting to get talked about as activism. And certainly within the the work of abolitionists, I think that this is very much a core part of it. But in terms of the conversations, you know, you and I have been having where, um, you know, we're both baby activists in some ways, like we're both young people. We're also both people who've been doing activism for our whole lives. But then what is activism? You know, it can include so many different approaches, so many different activations. Um, And I feel like this, you know, this piece that you and I are talking about has a lot to do with one of the themes that has been really important to us in designing this series, which is sustainability. And how do we create activism that not only can we continue with, but that gives us energy to continue, right? Like that doesn't burn us out and continue to take from us, but that also feeds us. Absolutely. And you, as you were saying that, you know, the, the work that feels like it's becoming activism that isn't named as activism, I really want to bring in and name the importance of my mom and I were actually having a conversation about this. So for context for folks that, you know, I love to give a context to people. Um, so for the people who are listening who don't know anything about me, 
Um, I'm currently um, talking to Renee in California. I'm sitting at my Nana's dining room table in her kitchen. And I am in California back home. I'm from Southern California. I'm in the I'm in the process of moving to Phoenix. And so um the, all of that matters because you know, again, when Renee and I were off mic, we were talking about um, how I'm in my back home and I'm here with my great-grandmother and my Nana and my mom. And so there's four generations of people living in a house together. And so, you know, my mom and I were having, you know, we were reflecting on the things that we just have learned from just being back home. My mom hasn't been back home, I think, for like six or seven years. And so we're just talking about like, what being back with the family has been like. And one of the things that I was reflecting on was how the idea of care has come from me being, again, raised by in a matriarchal family. I was raised by um, my mother, but then like with the support of the sisters, as I call them. And so, you know, my great-grandmother, my um my nana and her sisters my great aunt all they took care of each other they modeled as black women they took care of one another they modeled this is what you do you take care of each other you um you know they would always check on each other they called each other all the time they would you know come to each other's houses for dinner they supported each other emotionally. They supported, you know, each other interpersonally. They would ask each other for advice. That that's like what they. It was they were a community, right? Mm -hmm. They modeled what being in community meant for me, and that is that you show up for one another. You take care of each other. If someone's sick, you bring them something to eat to make sure that they have something to eat. If someone, you know, you show up for people's birthdays, you celebrate people's achievements, you hold space for their grief, right? You, um, and even, even now as my, you know, my aunts are aging, they're, they're, you know, um, very much elders now. They're still modeling that behavior with my um with my great grandmother. My great grandmother is in late stages of dementia and my aunts are also old too and they're trying they're trying to care for their they're you know they're really wanting to stick with this practice that they have of like taking care of folks even as they are you know having being as they're aging they're like we could barely take care of ourselves because we're old now. Um, and so that is the piece that I'm learning too, is like, I appreciate the, the way that they have modeled how to be in community for me, particularly as Black women. And I also am learning how do we learn, the, what are our limitations and when do we need to say no? And when do we need to ask for help? Because the, on the flip side of that, they have done, and you know, in my eyes, they have been the ones who have done so much of the labor in my family. Um, that 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 labor, I think, has been taken for granted. It has been gendered that there are men in my family, right? Um, but they don't be doing the same shit that the women in my family be doing. 
Um, and so I'm also trying to learn that balance of how do I, how are we communal, but how are we truly communal where that, that idea and understanding and practice of being in community is equitable and is reciprocal. And that's where that sustainability piece really is coming from and is rooted in is I've seen the ways that, not only have I seen the ways I also have experienced with myself, the ways that I have burned myself out trying to be community for everyone, but that like not being reciprocated back and like how we so desperately need for everyone to do their part, right? And to do what, to do what they can and what they have the capacity for and also to try to build capacity because I think that that's another piece is that sometimes folks are like I don't have capacity right now but they stay there they're like they say that I don't have the capacity right now place forever um <laughs> so I'm like how do we all actually you know understand what our capacity is what our skill is what is the thing that we bring to the community um, understanding the importance of that because everyone doesn't do the same thing, right? Everyone isn't an organizer. That's okay. We need somebody. There was actually someone that was talking about how in the civil rights movement, um, they were like, everybody didn't need to be organizing. Like somebody needs to bring the snacks, right? Because like that's important. We need sustenance. We need we need a place. You know, sometimes someone's like the things that I provide is I have the house that we can all hang out at. And we can we can make joyful memories here. We can eat, we can share a meal together. We can do, we can be in community in all of these other ways that aren't just the person who chairs the meetings. It's like whose house can we hang at it? Who got who can cook us food? Who, you know, can make us good drinks? Who can give us, you know, beautiful art to make so that we can have fun, right? Who who knows how to plan a fun this day where we just get to hang out and do whatever, right? So there's all of these different ways that we know how, that we need um, that create community. And I think that that sometimes gets lost. Yeah, that's it, that's it. It's reminding me of um, a conversation I had the other day with Sherry Taylor, who's also teaching with EA this year on Saturn and Pisces. And what you just said is so, it feels like such deep, original, like OG Saturn, medicine you know and that Saturn before becoming the patriarchal Saturnian Kronos you know like this god of boundaries or something um is actually uh the maker of civilization and in Saturn's origin mythology in the Sumerian uh cosmology as Enki um Inky has a great sense of humor and is also a community builder. And he's like, there's a place for everybody. And, you know, there's a job for you. And the job that's the best one for you is the one that's the best one for you. And I feel like astrology is one way that that can get illuminated. You know, I love, I love that about astro is that it's a way where we don't have to try and fit ourselves into um somebody else's box or definition of, okay, this is what being an activist looks like, or this is what a career needs to be, or this is how you need to be as a parent, or this is how you need to be as a lover or something like that. You know, astrology is like, well, you like it like this and like that and like this and like that. And, you know, you need a little touch of this and a little touch of that. And you know what? It's possible. You know, like it's possible because the world is a very creative 
and like infinitely variable kind of place. There are so many options. And like you're saying, we need the snacks, we need the games, we need people to watch the kids, we need people to like brighten our moods, we need the people who want to be out there with force on the front lines, we need the people who have the voices that carry, you know, over the masses and um, all of that is here. And also, when you were talking, I was thinking about one of the class planning exercises that we've been doing together, which is talking about community agreements and mm-hmm. um, and really incorporating that as you know part of how we're thinking about activism. And um, yeah, since we don't have that much time left, I'm I'm wondering um, if if you want to talk a little bit about what some of your hopes are for this series and um, as we work with Aries and the Aries Libra axis and eclipses and community building, I think, and you and I both being people that honestly, I th- I feel like our cancer placements were like, you know, the people that want to be the hosts, you know, it's like, we're in the kitchen, we got our aprons on. It's like, Carlin, yeah. did you make the cookies? I got the pies. Like, do you have all the drinks? You know, and we're like, come in everybody. Like yeah. there's this excitement that we have to bring people in. So yeah, what are some of um, your intentions for the series? Like, what are you excited about? What are you fantasizing about at this point, some weeks before we begin? Yes, on the cancer place thing. Yes, I absolutely like love hosting. Um, the things that I am really excited about is I really am hoping that this will be a space where people will be able to do some like very good reflective like self stuff, right? Because Aries like rules the self. Um, and particularly because of just like all of the shit that we have experienced in the last, in the last like decade, but like specifically in the last like um four years, right? It's like end of 2019 to now, um, you know, COVID, Donald Trump presidency, um, insurrection, just being burned out by like political shit in general. Um, and then just this huge, like all of this like grief and loss that have happened. But also like I want for folks to hopefully have the space to be able to have like um just like a moment to pause and kind of just reflect, right? So one of the things that and, and I'm saying that because 2020 was the worst slash also one of, I think, the best years for me personally, right? So, like, 2020 was horrible for all of the reasons, right? It was horrible because a pandemic happened, so many people lost their lives, um, so many people are now living with, like, just, like, we're going to be living with disability because of our poor response from the global powers, right? Like, not even just in the United States, like, generally, our response was shit. And also, there was so much possibility that was, like, highlighted to us. It demonstrated our, our, it it really showed to me our ability as people to actually be adaptive and and to be communal and the ways that we actually can be imaginative when we have the space to do so. And that there, and that's a way, that there are new ways of existing, right? Because people were freaking the fuck out and they're like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? And they did the thing, right? They were like, this is what we can do. This is how things can be different. Um, and I know for me, 
I was, I was, I re-remembered all of this stuff that you were talking about earlier that was life-giving that I just, I didn't have time to do because the demand of the society that we live in to constantly be busy and to have to hustle and all of this stuff that I had to do to survive, I forgot about, I forgot that I was an artist. Like I literally started school to go to, like as a fashion design major because I'm an artist. Um, I love to cook. I started cooking again. I started doing art again. I just, I started having fun again. And so that, I was only able to remember that that was like a gift in all of the like really fucked up, horrible shit that happened in 2020. There was also, there were so many beautiful things that happened. I was, because we were able to slow down. I had, I think that I had a lot of really beautiful strengthening moments in my friendships in 2020 because we were, we were, we had time to be slow, to be reflective um, with one another. And that's what I want. I want to provide that. I hope that we have that space to be able to um, let people reflect and see like, where are I? Where am I? What's activating me? Um, what has been activated in these last you know, a couple of years, and how can I alchemize those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I feel like, um, yeah, I really resonate a lot with with those intentions, and um, I feel like I want to bring in astrology to support that. And mm, my experience with astrology as I've already said at least once in this conversation you know is that it can really meet us where we are and I think that with this need to have sustained activism right like not a huge burst of activity when another episode of awful has happened right where all of a sudden it's like social media is on fire and there's a big wave of donations or something like that. It's, but what, what is the day-to-day groundwork, life rhythm, family building, world rebuilding, reimagining activism that becomes not something that we do outside of our normal lives, but becomes like what we do in our lives, just embedded in the fabric of how we're living and how do we bring that into our families and into our workplaces and into our, our dreaming practices and um, really think about it as a foundational element of what supports and sustains us rather than something that we have to make time for or something like that, which isn't to say that there isn't a need for probably everyone in the category of people who isn't doing this every day. So I'm not talking about single parents, not talking about care workers, not talking about people who are just like surviving in the, you know, layers of intersection and marginalization. I'm talking about people that, you know, really feel like, okay, on Thursdays, I'm going to go volunteer or something. And it's like, that's my spot. And yeah, I do think there's a need for folks who have enough comfort to really like prioritize and schedule and make things happen to activate yeah and it has to be more than that like it it has to be a conceptual shift and a relational shift and like an energetic and a vibe shift 
Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested in using astrology to, to feel into that because as we've been talking about, you know, in our class planning and series planning, we're, we're working with a lot of deep archetypal energies, you know, Mars and Venus as the rulers of Aries and Libra. And these are fundamentally primordial energies of attraction and aversion. Like how do we move our energy out into space to affect things? And how do we um, be, what, what is attractive to us? Like what is nourishing and sweet and sustaining and gets us excited and turned on? Like those things have to be present in our activism. Otherwise it's just a blip. It's like one drop in the ocean. And you know, that one phone call that you make when you can find the time for it, you know, doesn't amount to that much, but when it is grounded as what's sustaining, what's interesting, what's motivating and what can be realized across the board, then maybe we get somewhere, like we get to this systemic shift. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing in the piece of like, of clarifying who the the shift in thought needs to happen for. And then also I wanna add like, if you're, if we, so like I'll, you know, use myself as an example. A lot of the reflection that I know that I've been able to have is, due to like, I have a specific class that is, I have, I work a specific kind of job. So I'm able to engage with stuff more because I'm not always in survival mode, right? Like there are ways, there's space for me to like breathe and not be like, oh, I'm being ground down by capitalism. And so going back to that piece of communal understanding, I think that it's important for like more of us right the folks who have a moment to breathe um and to think through these things should be thinking about like who are the people that we are in like direct community with that we can that we can like provide some of that breathing space for right so maybe if you know someone who's a single parent can you like maybe one day maybe like if you have some extra time can you like babysit can you or like can you like just be sit with that that single parent and like take them out for lunch, take them out for dinner, or like cook a meal at your house or something, right? So like help in sharing um, some of that labor um, with folks as a way to like help ease, right? We can obviously because like we're you know we can't we can't undo a lot of it you know immediately, but there are absolutely ways that we can help ease some of that um that grind that then creates some of that space for folks um to be able to also have that place where they're where they're able to process and then um think about some of the stuff that we that some of us uh, who have more time and leisure can engage with so like how do we I think the one that's one of the things that I oftentimes am engaging with is like how do I create that space for other people. Mm, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate you bringing that in. And yeah, that feels that feels like a clarification and a deepening of um, what I was saying before about these different archetypal energies and modes into activism. And I was realizing as you were talking that even when I was speaking, the way that I was orienting energetically to activism was as being um, projecting and like doing a thing that felt like it was about an external motion and 
uh, maybe something that was defiant or like that had more of a Mars energy. And what you were just bringing in felt very Venusian and lunar. And, you know, that you're talking about um, really what is, you know, what is sustaining. And to loop back to our earlier, um, earlier point in our discussion, that the work of loving and intimacy and doing the repair work is such a deep activism and that in whatever we might be able to do for one another, you know, like if we have the time to cook someone a meal or care for someone or uh, engage ourselves in some way so that their life has more ease, that's also healing. Like that's also an avenue for connection and intimacy and more joy, you know, on, on both ends. Um, which then contributes to the soup, right? Like the soup that we're making together. So thank you for bringing that in. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. You start. I was just going to say that this has been, thank you for providing this space for us to have um, this generative conversation. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing our conversations. And for those who are interested in this series that Carlin and I are offering, it begins on March 21st, which is a Tuesday. And we run for five Tuesdays in a row. Tuesdays are Mars, Mars's day. Um, this is a series we're really going to investigate Aries uh, as we're beginning and moving through the series in Aries season. And we begin and end with Aries new moons, one on the very first degree of Aries, one on the very last degree of Aries. And that very last degree of Aries is also the first solar eclipse in the Aries Libra eclipses that will take us through 2025. And um, yeah, as we work through an Aries landscape, we're going to be talking about really the whole Zodiac with an special emphasis on a cardinal cross. And we'll be talking about all the planets, but we're really diving into, of course, Mars and Venus. And we'll be working with Saturn and the moon and Jupiter and Chiron and Eris and Vesta and Mercury, who are all going to be in Aries too. Um, and yeah, I know that even just the the class planning and the conversations that we've been having have been so stimulating for me. And I've really been turning a lot of wheels in my head around my own activism. So I'm very excited for what I think could come from this series. Me too, I'm super excited. Um, yeah, I can't wait to do the classes and for all the folks who are listening in the future and in the future from the future. I hope that you enjoy the class with us. Yes. Um, Carlin's information is in the show notes. Do you wanna say a really quick couple of words before we end about High Priestess Consulting and what you offer outside of uh, this conversation in our series? Yes, um, so um, besides being a baddie astrologer, I also have my own consulting company. It is the High Priestess Consulting Company. I do diversity, equity, inclusion work, or I, as another thing, I like to call myself um, 
shout out to Trek for helping me discover this language and anti, I'm an anti-oppression facilitator. So if you need workshops, um, if you need someone to facilitate a conversation, um, I do webinars, you can hire me as a speaker, you can hire me as a planner, um, I do all the things. So yeah, that's what I, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I would, if you have questions, um, we can drop my email in the show notes, send me an email. Um, I'd love to chat with you. Yay, and Carlin is amazing. All right, well, thank you so much for being here and I'm looking forward to talking to you soon. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to Embodied Astrology. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks. Leave us an affirmative review on your favorite listening platforms and consider making a one-time or recurring donation to support future productions. You can find more guest episodes at embodiedastrology.com in the listen section or wherever you stream your podcasts. Stay tuned in with the Earth, skies, and planets by becoming a member of Embodied Astrology. Our membership tiers include access to monthly Embodied Astrology readings for your sun, rising sign, weekly moon day movement classes in the Embodied Astrology somatic space, and a sweet supportive virtual community where you're encouraged to explore your chart through the lens of your own embodied experience. You can find more information in the show notes or at embodiedastrology.com forward slash join.